Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Starting to learn more about value stocks rather than growth stocks. You guys are saving me a, a lot of money. And provides unbiased answers. All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue chip names, and they've endured. Their brands have endured. Invest Talk. Over 42 million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, financial advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, July 13th, 2022 edition. And summer is here. It's back with a vengeance, and you've seen high temperatures all across the country. Reno, Nevada is at 95 degrees, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, the same. Los Angeles, just a little bit north of me, about 80 Phoenix, Arizona, 111 degrees. I have some friends out there. Summer in, in Phoenix is uh, is tough. <laughs> Definitely very hot. Now, a July heat wave is not the time to let your guards down. And the temps are hotter and the market's volatility is also generally hotter as well. So we're going to help you through this time and help you avoid the pitfalls and capitalize on the right opportunities. I'm Justin Klein, and I look forward to this hour with you, answering your finance and investment questions, and giving you my straightforward and unbiased answers, no hidden agenda, just giving you the facts as I see them right in front of me, lots of data, tons of systems that I can pull up to talk about the economy as a whole, a particular sector, a particular company, whatever it is, I'm here to unpack it all for you. So Today's investing, investing situation is a bit different than we've seen over the past few decades. You saw the inflation number today at 9.1%, and it's an inflationary world, and it's something that unless you live through the 70s or have studied the decades even before the 70s, then you're probably unfamiliar with how markets react, how asset classes react in times like this. So it makes it even more important to stay focused and and balance out the pros and cons of all investments, and not just the downside, but the upside as well. Remember, inflation brings prices generally higher, and that includes some assets, and some assets not so much, depending on their uh, their correlation to interest rates. So this is the complexity that comes with investing, and we try to simplify it as much as we can, because it's never going to be super simple, but giving you the the right data, the right perspective for you to make good investment decisions. So that's what we're here to do. And I invite your phone calls and questions now on our anytime toll-free listener line at 888-99-CHART, either live during our four to five 
live stream hour or after hours. Either way, the number never changes. Now let's get right to our first listener question now and go talk to Matthew in Kentucky looking at Walgreens Boots, WBA, Walgreens Boots Alliance. You own it or looking to buy it? Well, I own some shares of it, but I'm uh, actually looking to expand my position. Okay. Why are you looking to expand it? Well, I know that they've taken quite a hit uh, recently, uh, particularly with the, the most recent uh, earnings numbers. Uh, and But uh, uh, I primarily invest in dividend companies. And, okay. uh, you know, they're pushing a dividend yield of a little over 5%. And so okay. uh, that's attractive to me. And uh, I try to use uh, price to book as a metric. Uh, but I wanted to see what you guys thought about it. Uh, well, Here's the first thing. When you're looking at dividend investing, try not to focus too much on that dividend. The fact that they pay a dividend is good, but don't be chasing after those highest dividend yielding stocks. Okay. Uh, for example, I can't tell you exactly what the company is, but we're invested in one of their competitors. Okay. Walgreens, largest pharmacy. There's another one. You probably know what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, and it pays about half the dividend, okay, of Walgreens. But guess what? It's up over the last year, price-wise, okay? And whereas Walgreens, it's down from its 52-week high about 32%. So is it worth it to get a couple extra percent in the dividend when you're losing, you know, 20 30% uh, over that time frame? The answer is no. So you really need to focus first off on the actual business and how strong that business is. And unfortunately with Walgreens, their business just kind of continues to struggle. They made $6.02 in 2018 and they've made less money pretty much every year. Uh, so that's why it's trading at a low multiple and also wouldn't use price to book. Price to book, it's not a great metric to, to, to price whether to tell whether something is cheap or not. You need to price it based on actual earnings, cash flow, etc. Remember, price to book is in relation to the asset prices on the balance sheet. And that can that can be kind of fudged. There's depreciation issues, amortization issues. It's just simply not a great metric to use to figure out whether something is cheap or expensive. So the technicals in Walgreens are terrible. Relative strength 38 out of 100, very very low. Hit a 52 week low today and you know, I, I just don't, I don't like it, uh, especially in relation to its main competitor, which, like I said, we own. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would say I would sell your Walgreens WBA and move on to something else. And remember, dividend investing is not just about the dividend. It's about the what is backing up that dividend, what is paying that dividend. And, that is, and what that is, is the business underlying it. Okay, so don't focus directly simply on that, uh, that dividend yield. Thanks for the call, Matthew. Now, my focus point today is based on this headline. One analyst says that the toughest challenges for cryptocurrency lie ahead. Could he be right? Why would he be saying that? We'll dig into that story. If we have time, we're also going to talk a bit about pension funds and where they have been allocating capital. I think it's always interesting to see what big money where big money is putting is, is being deployed. And where they could cause problems for the pension industry as a whole. And then global unrest, costly food and energy are, are 
creating problems. You're seeing what's happening in Sri Lanka. And I want to dig into this even more because you're probably going to see more and more of this. And then how is the oil supply crisis evolving as the economy slows? How much actual demand destruction has there been and how much supply has there has, has been destroyed with Russia? Uh, and and the the embargoes and things like that. So we're going to look at that story if we have time. But next, uh, lastly, let's look at the market today. The S and P modest down day, about seventeen points. Certainly closed well off its lows on the back of the inflation number at nine point one percent. And now the market is pricing in a hundred basis point cut or cut increase uh, by the Fed at the end of this month. So uh, what was interesting, though, is it didn't really do much to uh, the market. The dollar was down. You would think that the dollar would rally based on that expectation. The Fed's going to tighten faster. And I think they're going to continue to do this, just you know, ramp up those rates until uh, inflation truly is headed lower. You're definitely seeing uh, a lot of signs underneath the surface but what's what's really driving i think the the inflation so far over the past couple of of, of months is rents rent uh, increases continue to um can you continue to power higher? And that's really dragging the CPI up. If you look at other things, manufacturing, PMIs, uh, uh, services, PMI, price indices, those are in decline already. So uh, I think it's more of a headline than actually what's happening underneath the surface and how the CPI is calculated because true business activity prices are pulling back. So that's the markets uh, today. Uh, oh, one, one last thing. The fact that the market didn't break down based on this is a bit of a bullish sign. The fact that you know you had bad, a bad news report and the market didn't tank, it just kind of uh, hung in there, uh, was uh, overall a good sign. And we still remain uh, above good support on the market as a whole. But the longer you sit here, the, the more it could break. But so far, there's still nice support. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here on this program and podcast to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? 
Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Hi guys, this is Chris from Virginia. I was wondering, when you find a company you're interested in buying into, what methods do you use to determine a good price to set your limit order? Thanks for everything you do, and I'll be listening to your response on the podcast. Bye. Well, ideally, you'd set it at some sort of support level, whether that's a moving average, whether that's a FIB retrace, whether that's a return to a previous breakout zone, etc. So it's just finding support levels that you're you're comfortable getting in at uh, from a technical perspective as well as fundamental. So that's how we would set them. Now we we buy them, we buy positions on a daily basis. We sometimes use market orders if it uh, is super liquid. If it's not as liquid, I mean, the, the bid-ask spread is is relatively wide, then we'll try to work the order and get a better price, et cetera. So it just depends on, on the liquidity there. Uh, but, you know, we're not setting these prices well below the current price to, uh, you know, limit orders well below the current price to try to get it at that lower uh, lower rate. We have uh, systems that alert us when when prices of particular positions that we want to buy are at, at our price level, uh, price target, uh, et cetera. So that's the way we do it. And I encourage you as well to uh, find systems like that that will give you an alert so that uh, you know uh, a, a company is trading at a level that, that you want to get in at. Then you can kind of reassess it at that point. You know, has something ma- materially changed? Because you could say today, I want to buy something uh, 20% lower. And the price gets there, but something material about the business has changed. Maybe the CEO left. Maybe the economic backdrop uh, is, is is a lot worse than it was a couple months ago. Or uh, just the business prospects shifted a lot more than, than you had expected. And that 20% drop is more than justified. It probably should go down more. Um, so I, I wouldn't put just simply good till cancel limit orders at a certain price uh, just because things can change a lot from now until when it actually hits that level. So uh, that's my thought process when it comes to placing limit buy orders on positions. Now, my focus point today is based on this headline. Now, one of us says that the toughest challenges for cryptocurrency lie ahead. Could he be right? And cryptocurrency's been pretty volatile as of late. Bitcoin still is hovering around that 20,000 level that it's been at for the past month or so. And this is nothing new for crypto. But typically, when you see these dramatic drawdowns, there's a quick turnaround and explosive growth from there, making new highs. And certainly that could happen again. And I think a lot of crypto fanatics are banking on that. But we're also in a different world where interest rates are going up, inflation's relatively high, and we're in a recession, at least probably a mild one. And that's nothing that cryptocurrency has seen uh, really since its, uh, its inception. And there are some challenges that this author, at least, and I agree with a lot of them, uh, thinks are ahead. And one is that the risk-adjusted returns have not been great. Yes, it's gone up thousands of percent since, you know, its inception at basically zero, but volatility has been dramatic. 
And recent empirical evidence shows that since 2018, risk, Bitcoin's risk-adjusted returns has not been very great, especially compared to equities and bonds. And then the safe haven properties that a lot of people uh, typically talk about uh, Bitcoin as, well, its correlation has become a lot more tied to equities and commodities. So it's not this diversified asset, uh, asset diversifying asset that most uh, think it is. And between 2010 and 2022, Bitcoin recorded 27 episodes of drawdowns at 25% or more. Over that time period, equities and commodities, only one, okay? And even when inflation picked up, you know, think it's an inflation hedge, well, inflation here in the US, Europe, etc., cetera, uh, Bitcoin's actually gone down, okay? Uh, and after the break, I'm gonna go with a few more concerns going forward. We're heading to a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now let's finish up our main focus point today. And for the break, I touched on the fact that. Bitcoin's risk-adjusted return since 2018 has not been great, and there's been huge drawdowns multiple times, 27 episodes of big drawdowns uh, over the last 12 years or so. And equities and commodities, not, not nearly as much. And it, the fact that it's become more of more tied to investor speculation and liquidity dynamics than true bucking the the trend or diversified diversified asset that helps a portfolio's risk adjusted return and actually hurts it okay so that's one uh, couple of the first major issues then the ESG goals and as environmental social and governance practices are becoming uh, more scrutinized and uh, more money's flowing towards those endeavors there's problems, uh, mainly with Bitcoin, which is 40% of the cryptocurrency's market cap. And it's, it uses to invalidate one single transaction requires enough energy to power the average American home for only two for two months. And so how environmentally friendly is that, uh, you know, as it gets more scrutinized, I think that could create uh, some more problems with the currency as a whole. And uh, clearly Ethereum has tried to solve a lot of that. A lot of the other uh, currencies have, but still uh, blockchain bloats and, and the cost to uh, mine uh, certain types of uh, cryptocurrencies creates a, a headwind. And then when it comes to social goals, uh, uh, financial inclusivity and wealth gaps are even bigger uh, in the crypto space than they are in the traditional finance world. And then from a governance perspective, there's not a lot of oversight on these companies. You see that with uh, fraud. You see that with money laundering. Uh, Ponzi schemes are coming up. Uh, just the, the government's practices within the space are just very, very poor. And then uh, the surge in ruble to cryptocurrency transactions since the Ukraine war and the sanctions show that uh, a lot of uh, what Russia is doing to get around the sanctions is using cryptocurrency. So that's another uh, issue in, in uh, going forward. And then lastly, CBDC, central bank digital currencies, 
these are likely to usurp stable coins as uh, stable coins become more regulated. Right now, they're just basically unregulated money market funds. That's why you've seen uh, a few of them kind of collapse and people chasing yield within the, the cryptocurrency space uh, getting wiped out. And so uh, that's another risk that will probably continue to rear its ugly head as more money flows out of those stable coins and into CBDCs. So that's my uh, take, and I agree with a lot of these. Actually, this is a take of, of the of the uh, the author of this article, and I agree with uh, pretty much every point. Now let's head over to Pleasanton and talk to Robert. He wants to talk about the market. Hey, Justin. Yeah, I'm finding this market to be uh, pretty challenging right now, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of the things that um, you know we. <laughs> maybe assumed we're going to be happening really aren't happening. And such as it's, um, it's, well, such as, um, you know, I know Steve has talked about, you know, we're in a commodities super cycle. Um, mm-hmm. Commodities have gotten hammered, right? Energy stocks were supposed to be the way to go. Energy stocks have just been hammered lately the last few weeks. Um, okay. Gold supposed to be a good hedge in a market like this. Gold has been a horrible investment. So, you know, it's just very difficult to find um, an area of the market that is um, that is doing well. And it seems well, like, you know, well, every, touch, time, every time touch a bit on that. numbers let's come touch, out. Let's touch a bit on those last two. And I think it's very important. First off, gold uh, so far this year is barely down, uh, even after this big drop. So to say that gold, you know, as has been you know, terrible this year. It hasn't. It's been terrible the last few months, but not terrible this year. So that's number one, especially in relation to the market. Number two is these are volatile sectors and you should expect that. It should be expected. Just because you're in a longer term bull market in a particular sector does not mean that suddenly that sector becomes a safe haven that the characteristics of volatility within those particular sectors go away. Uh Uh-uh. It always, I don't say always, because that's pretty absolute. It's almost always going to show those same volatility characteristics. Same with utilities, right? Utilities, they're going to be, they're going to have similar volatility as they've always had. They have, they're not having much higher level of volatility than they than they, they usually do. It's having much lower volatility than energy because they're utilities. That's what they tend to have. But the upside of energy is much better. Energy stocks still remain up nicely for the year. Okay? So just because you're in a secular bull market in a particular part of the market, certain sector like energy doesn't mean that it's immune from pullbacks immune from the volatility that it historically has. And that's what you just seeing here. It's the it's, it was overbought. It was chased. It was people, it was a crowded trade and suddenly there was some demand destruction with uh, shutdowns in China and obviously a slowdown of the global economy, etc. And you got a pullback in the stocks, but guess what? The XLE, it's just at a 200-day moving average, which is not out of the realm of, you know, of of reality. That happens often, very often. So if you just bought in when it was overbought, 
well, that's you just not being patient enough. I said it earlier in the year. I said, at some point, you'll get a pullback in, in energy sometime probably in the summer. I didn't think it would be the first few weeks of the summer, but that's just what happened. Um, so when you're investing in any sector, any asset class, you need to be prepared. Okay, so uh, for that level of volatility that it typically has. Now we're heading to a break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E. Dot com, HackerOne.com At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk alize quiz. Hey guys, James in Washington State here. I uh, really enjoy the program and enjoy all the information you guys share on a daily basis. Really appreciate that. Just had a quick question, wondered about Adidas. I know this has been asked about a few times in the past couple months, but just wondering what you think about it now. I keep getting alerts. I set alerts on my TD Ameritrade app for price drops, and this one has dropped. I mean, if you look at the last five years, it's Definitely the lowest it's been in the last five years by a long shot. And, you know, I got to look at some of the financials. It uh, looks like they got a decent amount of uh, long-term debt on there. So maybe that's a reason to steer clear. And it seems like that debt's only increased over the last, you know, four or five years. So just wonder what you guys thought about it, if there was a price point uh, window where you could see it being worthwhile that we reached that price point or kind of just what your general thoughts are on it. Appreciate it. Well, my general thoughts are on Adidas is they are a German-based, a European-based apparel company. And this is a terrible time 
for the economy in Europe, especially Germany. You know, they, you have a weak currency, you have soaring costs of, of energy due to the, the sanctions on, on Russia. And this is something that I think they're still tied to this policy geopolitically. And this is a strong headwind for anything that is, has business focused mainly in Europe. And while Adidas is, you know, a pretty good company, I see very little optimism in the near term uh, for, for their business. It continues to plumb to multi, uh, multi-year lows. Uh, let's see. Yeah. It broke its COVID low and now back to levels we have not seen since 2017. And so uh, I, I would not touch it. And I know you're getting alerts and all that, but you need to find some capitulation here uh, and, and a turnaround for the European economy. You've, like I said, you're, you think our economy is having a rough time, slowing dramatically. Sure. But Europe, it's far worse. And companies that are heavily exposed to that market, especially the, the consumer market, they're going to continue to struggle. So I'm going to pass on Adidas and be patient until there's a turnaround in the, the German economy. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. 806GCJ says, I'm looking at ONTO. ONTO, let me pull that up here. Onto Innovation. It hit a 52 week low last week, and I was wondering what are your thoughts on this stock and what is a good entry point? Okay, this is interesting. Makes automated and integrated measurement and inspection systems for the semiconductor and flat panel display markets. So another one of those names in the consumer space or exposed to the consumer. And, you know, how many TVs are people buying right now, especially after the splurge on TVs over the pandemic with all the money that people got? Uh, certainly that was that brought a lot of demand forward into that time and uh, demand is, is, is now slowing. What's interesting though, is that they had earnings of $1.93 in 2020 last year, $3 and 86 cents and expected this year to be $5 and 17 cents. And you'd say, well, clearly analysts are downgrading that. that. That's that can't be right. Well, that's actually the opposite. Analysts are continue to upgrade their expectations for earnings $5.17 this year, $5.58 next year. So I like that. And let me see this. I, I kind of like this. Return on equity, 12.4%. Return on assets, 10.6%. Not a lot of leverage there. Uh, certainly, they struggled back in 08, but everyone did. It's long-term return on equity mm, is still in the high single digit. So it's not this... Uh, amazingly profitable company, uh, but I like the the recent trends uh, in earnings and hmm, looks to be near support right around the hundred week moving average. So I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. I wouldn't think it would would be great, but if analysts continue to up its earnings expectations, it's growing revenue of forty three percent. I'm going to give this one a positive review. Thanks for the call. Let's go to another iTunes review. 
JDC from Beirut said, Beirut, Beirut says, I was wondering about your thoughts on 3M pending litigation. You said you thought it was a great buy and I have picked it up over the past few months, but do see seemingly huge possible litigation payouts were you, I read one place could be as high as 33 billion. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's what, what's weighing on 3M uh, the most, you know, whether or not they actually uh, have to pay that out, um, you know, three, 33 billion is probably worst case scenario. Uh, so, you know, I'm not a lawyer, uh, whether they actually have to pay that out or not, uh, we shall see, but that's certainly weighing on, uh, the name and why it continues to struggle. And that's why I'd be, uh, patient. And once again, I think I never said to buy it. I said, I like that it's on the watch list, but you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not quite cheap enough for that litigation risk. Now it is right around some major support here about 125, uh, but that's just near-term support. Remember when I say support, that could be long-term, that could be near-term, and the longer you stay at support, the the higher odds it would break that support. Uh, it just kind of got there recently, so we'll see how strong the bounce is, uh, right around 125, currently at 128 and change. So I would be patient on 3M, and whether or not they have to pay that judgment, we shall see. Now, I bet that a lot of people are amazed at how the investment environment has changed over just the past year. And the question is, have, has your portfolio changed to the new reality of higher rates, lower growth, higher commodity prices? Well, are you prepared, I think is the main question. And if you are unsure, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial based in Irvine, California, which is in Orange County, a little bit south of LA. And it's where we practice parallel investing and provide unbiased guidance, both on and off air. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting, or send us a message through investtalk.com or call our office 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Next up, we'll tackle another caller question. So hang on. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. I'm about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin, Chris from Florida here. Just had a question about Azenta Inc. A Z T A. I was looking for some exposure into like healthcare and stuff, but this is also seems like it's kind of an IT small cap kind of growth. Just wondering what you thought about it. I just saw that it was held by it says ninety nine point one percent of institutions. I don't know if that's right, but it seems like it's got a good stronghold on institutional investors. And I was just wondering if this might be a good one since it pays a dividend and uh, maybe a, a little bit of a risky play here, but was just looking into the healthcare sector, looking for some exposure. And though the earnings are negative right now, obviously no way to value it with the PE. I was just wondering what you thought about it. Thanks for your help and you have a great day. All right. This is Azenta Inc. This is formerly Brooks Automation. And I see fund ownership about 59% of the float, which is, you know, pretty good. 
but the stock is clearly in a downtrend and is definitely one of those growthier names uh, where revenue last quarter was up 12% and it was growing nicely a year ago in the high 30s. But that's certainly decelerated in the last two quarters. Earnings growth has turned negative. So certainly don't like that. And if you look at the uh, multiples it's trading at, price of sales 21 times and enterprise value to even forward looking is 33 times. It's just trading at uh, way too high a multiple. And and you're correct. This is not really a healthcare name. Uh, it's really more into providing life science sample exploration, management solutions for the industry. So they help with the uh, the procurement, sourcing, uh, they automate store, they have an automated storage platform, they have a genomic service, etc. So they're, they're providing things, uh, services to the, um, to the industry. And with funding within the industry, it's becoming more scarce, harder to raise capital because capital is more expensive. Well, there's gonna be less money to spend on things that uh, Azenta actually provides for the industry. And after hours, it's down, it's down 1% today, it's down 12.3% after hours. So likely continue much, much lower. So I would definitely would not touch Azenta, A-Z-T-A. Now let's pivot to the oil industry. And we had a caller earlier talk a bit about uh, how oil stocks have pulled back. Part of that had to do with just uh, a lot of positioning offsides, a lot of people uh, too bullish on the space and the space getting overbought. And that tends to happen when you have uh, a certain sector of the market drastically outperform. A lot of people just rush to that without understanding what they're buying, understanding the volatility within the space. And you start to see volatility pick up. People rush to the exits, people that have, uh, they have weak hands and they don't understand the fundamentals of the industry as a whole. So let's dig into the fundamentals. And this is coming from the International Energy Agency that they released a report today. And there's some indication that the supply, the, the, the amount of supply is, is increased a bit. Demand is coming off because of lower economic growth. And Russian supply hasn't been impacted nearly as much as everyone had expected. Now, they cut their forecast for oil demand this year and next, citing weak economic growth and just higher prices creating demand destruction. That always happens to some degree. Now, U.S. and Canadian producers also increase global output, not by a dramatic amount, but by some. And once again, the sanctions on Russia have not had a material impact on production levels, or not nearly as high as they had been expected. Now, oil still, after today, up 1.1%. It was up uh, above $100 a barrel once again. So it hit a high of around 130 earlier this year. And... It's a drop, but remember, oil's still at $100 a barrel. And OPEC is struggling to meet its planned targets. And analysts say the group's members are close to pumping as much oil as they possibly can. Now, the IEA cut their demand forecast for this year by 240,000 barrels to 99.2 million. 
and demand next year by 280,000 to 101.3 million barrels. Notice that? Talking about the economy slowing dramatically, but demand still is expected to grow. This is why I say that it takes a lot of economic damage to create a decline in oil demand, especially with emerging markets continuing to, to grow and, and, and needing more oil and industrializing. Now, the IA expects the demand to be a demand, the impact on demand to be modest uh, because of a rebound in the Chinese economy as they open up, right? They've been on a, a series of rolling lockdowns. And they raise supply forecasts for this year by 300,000 barrels a day to about 100.1 because they, they see uh, Russian crude output this year to be 240,000 more than they had expected before. Now, in June, global oil supply jumped to 690,000 barrels, or by 690,000 barrels, to 99.5 million a day because of that increased uh, Russian output. Now, Russia's oil exports fell to its lowest level since August of last year, but their overall revenue rose 40% more than their 2021 average. So, higher prices, modest drop in volume from Russia, but they're making more money overall. And the OPEC says the global growth would ease to 3.2% in 2023 and 3.5% uh, this year as economies here in Europe and the US deal with higher inflation and higher interest rates. And global oil demand growth will slow to 2.7 million barrels a day from 3.4 million a day uh, this year. So once again, Oil demand is going to continue to go up. It's just kind of at the margins. How much does a slower economy impact that? And uh, I think that's why I, I'm still remain long term bullish on oil is the fact that there still is not that supply response and the demand continues to go up. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here each and every weekday, and that's to help you help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And we do that by giving you perspective, giving you data, and answering as many questions as we can. This show is about you. It's about your concerns and your goals and helping you give the helping you acquire the tools, the mindset to make good investment decisions each and every day. So as we head into our final break, I encourage you to give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Listening to Invest Talk, and the market has been interesting. So you'll have important finance and investment questions, and Steve and Justin welcome your calls now. Invest Talk, 888 chart. Hey, Justin, this is Mike. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about Ecolab, symbol ECL. I talked to you guys a while back when it was probably around 230, 225, something like that. And you told me, man, stay out of that stock because it's uh, seriously overbought. And sure enough, <laughs> I'm glad you did because you saved me a ton of money. But now it's sitting around 160. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts were on this stock at this point. Maybe you could give me a little 
guidance here whether I should jump back into this stock or, you know, avoid it like the plague. Okay, thanks. Talk to you later. All right, this is Eco Labs, and this is a big, steady industrial company, but it's pretty low growth. And they market cleaning, sanitizing, pest elimination, maintenance, and repair products to hotels, restaurants, etc. So they provide a lot of the the back end products and services to keep the service industry humming. And uh, now the service industry is struggling just a bit. And their business is struggling as well. 2018, they made $5.25, but then only five, twelve, and 2019, $4.02 in 2020, as uh, wouldn't be expected when a lot of those uh, restaurants and hotels are shut down. But back to $4.69 last year, and they're finally getting supposed to get back to $5.06 this year and a record high of $6.05 next year. But those expectations continue to be downgraded going forward. So I don't like that. The chart remains in a downtrend, and it's still trading at, even you go by $5 in earnings, you're going 31 uh, times forward-looking earnings. Still pretty expensive in my book for a company that is very low growth. Its current price to free cash flow is at about 36, which is right at its kind of longer term average. It typically bounces between about 20 and uh, let's see, about 45. So it's in the middle of that range. I would say it's at this point now down. 35% from its 52-week high and well below, which we talked about it earlier, uh, I'd say it's probably fairly valued now. It's not cheap, and it's in a downtrend. So I don't like companies that are fairly valued in a downtrend because, as we talked about before, most of the time, the market overshoots, right? It's a pendulum, and it typically doesn't go right to the middle of that pendulum and stay there and go back the other way. It typically will go to a point where it's super cheap, and... I don't like the earnings estimate downgrades. I don't like the multiple and valuations trading at, and I certainly don't like the chart. So I'm passing on Ecolabs. Good company to have in your watch list. Very good, solid company, but I just need to buy it cheap, especially with a very low growth, and it's certainly not that now. Now let's see if we can squeeze in one more voice bank question. This time a caller from Alabama. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Michael from Alabama. Just calling about General Electric Company, ticker symbol GE. Uh, what's a good entry point for this stock? And also, what sector is it considered? Is it? I don't think it would be growth, but is it value? And kind of what's the backdrop of that sector right now during the economic cycle? Thank you for all you do. Talk to you later. Well, its sector would be industrial, but would it be considered more of a value stock or a growth stock? Definitely more on the value side. Typically, industrials are considered value stocks and because they're large and, and their growth tends to be more along the lines of the overall economy as opposed to some secular growth. You know, growth stocks tend to be uh, have some driver. Uh, that's why they typically are in the tech space and they have some sort of um, you know longer term tailwinds uh, for their business. Whereas large industrials, they tend to ebb and flow with um, corporate uh, M&A or not M&A, uh, R&D, corporate uh, CapEx spending, et cetera. And GE is certainly along the lines of that. Uh, the chart is definitely in a downtrend and it's uh, it's definitely not cheap enough yet. So I don't see uh, I don't see a major reason to buy GE right now. 
it's uh, look at a weekly chart yeah it just continues to to grind lower uh they obviously have issues with their balance sheet they're trying to restructure the business and they've gone a long way to that but uh the the errors of their past uh still haunt them and their aviation industry uh certainly is going to be under pressure uh, along with boeing so uh, i'm going to pass on ge uh, there's definitely better a lot better industrials out there to own I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave a question with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.